Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member FDIC. Guys, I'm officially on tour. I am so excited to hang out with you, but I need you to know this tour is a little different than anything you might have heard me or seen me do before. Still love Jesus, but I cuss a little, and that's what's gonna happen tonight, so get ready. Usually when I speak publicly, it's about how to grow and become a better version of yourself, and yes, I want to talk about that. Don't tell me that you can't do difficult things because that is one teeny tiny example of something that men will never have to deal with. But more than anything, I want to laugh. It's honestly been a really hard year for me and my kids. I just want to tell stories with my friends and laugh until we pee our pants a little bit. The second thing we're going to do is a live Q&A. Oh yeah, no, if you raise your hands, like you're in. <laughs> we get to learn and understand more about ourselves when we hear someone else's stories. The third thing that's different about this tour is that Every single location has a bar. I wanted to have a girls' night out. I wanted to have a place where you could get your sister, call your mama, get your neighbor from down the street, and you could come out and you could have a glass of cheap wine and you could watch a show and laugh and have fun and meet new people. The fourth thing, don't bring your husband. <gasps> yeah, don't, I said it. If you got a husband that will laugh about period jokes, bikini waxes, mom stories, bring them on down. If you're not sure if your man thinks that's funny, he doesn't. Come by yourself and make friends. Treat yourself to a night where you are dating you. It's gonna be a lot of fun. That is my number one intention with this tour is that I want to have fun and I know that we will. So check out the show notes to get a link to upcoming cities. Put the word out. Love you. I'll see you soon. I'm stronger than I've ever been. I've, I've gone through this rebirth. I'm so broken down. Like if you looked at my body physically, you'd be like, that guy can't walk another step. But I found this place inside of me that actually was like, I'm stronger than ever. And I believe that place exists in every single yeah, person, totally. 100%. Like we just don't allow ourselves to get there. We limit ourselves long before that. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. 
I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Hi guys, it's Rachel. Welcome to the podcast and another conversation inside of our Mastermind series. Now, if this is your first time with a Mastermind episode, I think you're going to love it. These are shows where we pull from almost seven years of doing this podcast. In all of that time, I have had the incredible luck of sitting with some of the most amazing teachers, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, politicians, writers, dreamers, artists, you name it. And in those conversations, there are these nuggets, these moments that just blow us all away. So I thought, what if we took the best of the best on a single topic and we brought it to you? We tried this out last year for the first time and they have been some of our most popular episodes, which is really cool. And today is no exception. Today we're talking about overcoming adversity because I know that wherever you find this in the world, you've got your own types of challenges. You have your own part of the world that you come from, your own difficulties that you face each and every day. When we hear other people talk about what they have had to overcome, most especially if what they talk about resonates with what we're going through, I think it's some of the most incredible motivation there is. So we're going to hear from a little bit of everyone today. We're going to hear from a female comedian talking about what it's like to come up in a world not traditionally designed for women like her. We're going to hear from an extreme athlete. We're going to hear from Tony Hawk, who I know, maybe not someone you think of as overcoming adversity. Until you hear him talk about how many times, I mean how many times, he has really hurt himself learning to skateboard over the years. In fact, if you've seen his documentary, then you know he is who he is because of a willingness to stand up and try again. We're going to hear from someone who's talking about overcoming a physical challenge. More than one of today's speakers understands what it's like to come up in a world that is not designed for people who look like them. So whatever it is you're struggling with, I hope more than anything that these conversations inspire you deeply. Welcome to another episode in our Mastermind. I'm Nick Santadastasso, and uh, you know, currently I am a bodybuilder, a model, global motivational speaker, but um, I was born with Hanhart syndrome. What that is is a super rare genetic disorder that either leaves the babies with undeveloped limbs or undeveloped organs. And so me, me being 22, when I was born in 1996, I was the 12th baby in medical history that they've ever seen this happen to. And so basically I'm a unicorn and I'm, I'm happy to be here and, <laughs> and, and, and grateful to be alive. That syndrome left me with uh, no legs and one arm. So doing it all with no legs and one arm. <laughs> At the time of my birth, um, when, when the doctor said, you know, your, your son 
is born with hand heart syndrome and his face might be messed up and his, he's missing his legs and his arms. Um, they gave me a 30% chance to live. And what my parents did is, is so important. And they looked at each other and said, listen, we're going to focus on that 30%. Like, we're like, okay, like the 70s there, but we're going to focus on the 30%. And that's kind of reinforcing the rule of like, focusing on the negative will never serve you. And so my parents, you know, there was so much negativity going on. Um, like your son won't be able to do this. We don't know if he's going to survive all this stuff. And, and in the midst of that chaos, my parents were able to just stay positive and focus on that 30%. Because if you really break it down, like in any situation of life, if you focus your energy on the negative, it doesn't serve you. Like it's not empowering. And so, you know, my parents did the right thing and focused on that 30%. My parents, they, they just threw me, threw me, uh, you know, on things or at things, I should say, like skateboarding and, and all these different things. But the wrestling came from my, my brother. So my older brother is about five years older than me, six years older than me. I never got to go to high school with him, but um, he would always go to wrestling matches. He was a wrestler. I always just looked up to wrestlers. And so when I got into high school and I was, I was in my low point, I was trying to find some way out. Um, my friends, you know, said you should wrestle. And, um, I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I, I don't think I can, but I'll, I'll think about it. And you know, when you like think about an idea and then you start marinating on it and it's like more, you just like think of different ways you can achieve that. And so I, I got home and I was like, you know, mom and dad, I want to be a wrestler. And I always say, you know, my parents supported me in everything and anything, but this was a little bit different. And you know how moms are. She was like, oh no, Nick, you know, wrestling's a physical sport. Like you're going to, what happens if you hit your arm and your bone comes through your skin? Mm-hmm. And, um, for, for the listeners, what I mean by that is my right limb which is um, below, you know, above my elbow, um, was about five inches longer than it is now. And my bone was growing faster than my skin. And so my whole life, like up until then, I always, always tucked this arm. I would just hide it um, because if I would have hit my arm hard enough, my bone would have came through my skin. You know, I told my parents, I said, I, I want to be a wrestler. And they said, you know, what about your arm? And I said, can we cut it off? You know, can we do something about it? And they were like, Nick, you're, you're so aggressive with your terms. The, the, the right <laughs> word is the right word is amputate, not cut off. I mean, maybe we can talk about it if you say amputate. And um, but, you know, they're always in that joking manner. Um, but, you know, I told them that this is something that I really want to do and um, that it would get me out, get me out of my hole. And so we went ahead and we, we scheduled the amputation. I went I went along with the process and I went out to be a JV wrestler my soft, uh, my junior year. And then my senior year, I was the 106-pound varsity wrestler from my high school. But um, I just, you know, I kind of have people self-reflect on that. It's like, what are you willing to sacrifice? You know, what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to do just for just for a taste, just for a taste of your dreams? Because I'm, I, I myself, I didn't know if I was going to be a varsity wrestler. I didn't know, even know if they were going to let me on the team. You know, my whole life, I just knew things were going to be hard. I always tell people that's one of my biggest advantages is like everything that I tried, I fell on my face, you know? And so... As, as a young kid, I always, you know, exercise the muscle of doing things are hard or just having, having, you know, boundaries in front of me or barriers in front of me. And so when that came, I was just like, all right, like this, this is the solution. Like this is what I have to do. And I was also going to, you know, improve my quality of life because I always had to hide my arm and it wasn't very comfortable. But I think the second thing that, that drove it home is Rachel, I was in such a, such a low place and people didn't know because you know I always felt like I was the lighthouse and and my my energy is contagious and if people see I'm upset then they're going to be upset and so I would just throw on this mask and go to school but I was in such such a low point because you know like middle school and high school not only is the most judgmental time of your life but like girls and guys like you know like dating and all that stuff like that was a huge thing and I just felt like 
no one, no one liked me. I just felt like that I was just so so different physically that you know girls didn't love on me. I didn't get that love, and so I figured that if I could do something that was going to build me up you know, that it was so worth it. Like, I don't even care what the sacrifice was. I just wanted to feel comfortable in my skin. And so if that means, you know, taking, taking the extreme and amputating some of my arm, but like that led me to the wrestling to be with my team, right. And to be, to be labeled as an athlete and a wrestler. And, and that brought my hopes up. And so I think that just in my head, I knew like, yo, this is worth it. You know, this is a, this is a sacrifice, but for me, it's just another day, you know, it's another day of doing something that, you know, people didn't think I could do or, um, calling me crazy, you know, amputating my arm. You know, I was doing the wrestling thing, and and it saved my life. I found, you know, the impact I have on other people. But wrestling also also gave me enough confidence to put myself out on the internet. Um, and and at the time I was a senior, it was in 2014, and that was the same time the app Vine came out. And so Vine was the app where you could post six second videos. And so you know everybody was posting these videos, and they're like you know, look at this. And, you know, you see an app, you're like, oh my God, you know, I want to do that too, if you like it. And so I was like, all right, you know, I want to post funny videos. And so I was, I was thinking of an idea. I wanted to create something that was so eye catching that, you know, it had to go viral. Like there was no way this would fail. And so, you know, I'm thinking with my friends, I said, you know, what has never been done? And then I was like, how many, how many legless guys are crawling around Walmart pretending to be a zombie? Like, I don't see many like legless <laughs> pranksters out there. And they're like, dude, that's a great idea. And so, you know, I, I threw fake blood on my face. I threw fake blood on my clothes. And I set out to my local Walmart in New Jersey, which Nick's not allowed in that Walmart anymore. I've been kicked <laughs> out like three times. They're like, dude, just don't come back. Um, but we set out for a victim. And so, you know, I came around the corner and I did my zombie screech. I was like, Rah! and I scared this guy and he, and he threw the paper towels at my face. And I captured this video in six seconds. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, it worked. And so I posted this video. And my goal you know, behind the video, I was like, man, if this reaches 500 people, 500 kids or adults, because Rachel, I knew how it felt to be dis- like absolutely disgusted in my body. I knew how it felt to be unconfident and not feel like you're good enough. And, you know, e- even as we do this interview, there are millions of people listening. There are millions of kids and adults that just don't feel like they're good enough or pretty enough, whatever it may be. So I wanted to create a way where people can look on their phone and, you know, see my video, whatever I was doing and go, wow, you know, look at this kid living his best life, you know, Maybe I could be be a little bit more confident in my situation. And so posted the video. It went super viral. gained like 50,000 followers in a day. And that led me to starting these pranks, which I gained a million followers in under a year. And um, got hired by, you know, Fox to scare Norman Reedus in Tokyo, Japan. I got to do really amazing things, but I realized that it wasn't really fulfilling me anymore. And that, you know, when Nick has grandkids and kids, that I want them to know me for much more than crawling around Walmart. Yeah. And so I needed to do something. I needed to do something bigger and better. And so I, I actually went out to LA um, on a business venture and the show didn't get picked up and I went super broke. Um, uh, I, I was sleeping on paper towels. I wasn't eating much. And um, I, I refused to tell my parents I was broke. And I, I spent six months in LA just not really doing much. And so when I came home, I was I was kind of at another rock bottom. Like, what are you going to do? And I looked at the fitness industry and just like any other, any other industry. And I was like, man, there's no man with no legs and one arm bodybuilding. Let me be that guy. Because, you know, I, I took advantage of my unicorn factor. I call it the unicorn, like shock and awe, but like just being a unicorn in the industry. And so I started lifting. And, and at first, you know, people made fun of me and they're like, dude, like, how are you going to be a bodybuilder? You have half a body. And I was like, all right, well, at least my top half of my body will be more shredded than your whole entire body. <laughs> and it was just like, you know, <laughs> just not only proving other people wrong, but proof, proof to myself 
that led me to competing and, and meeting the rock and, and kind of giving me enough confidence, you know, to, to go on and do other things. And I, and I think like, you know, Ed talks about it a lot, but just keeping your word within yourself and like saying, you're going to do these little micro goals. Like you build such, such a confidence in yourself that like, you're just a machine. Like you're like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do that. I say, I'm going to do it and it's going to happen. And so I just said that I was going to become a speaker. I was going to become a, a model and a bodybuilder. And I told everyone, I was like, guys, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I want to let you know that I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to show you hands on that when you physically throw yourselves in uneasy waters, this is going to force yourself to learn. This is going to force yourself to figure out what you need to do to achieve your goals. And, and that's what I always, I always constantly bring that up because people are like, man, you're successful in business and you, and you're successful in modeling and all this stuff. And I tell people like, I didn't know what I was doing, but I got into the game. And, you know, that's much more important than sitting on the, you know, the sidelines, double, double, double guessing or, you know, thinking about all the reasons why you can't do something. I'd rather just throw myself in the game and figure out, figure it out. I do it more now than I did before. I throw myself into things like things that I've never done before. I, I, I throw myself in that because I use like uncomfortable situations when I'm uncomfortable or when I'm nervous or I'm like kind of second guessing myself. I use it as an anchor and I'm like, Nick, like you're about to level up. Like you're about to evolve as a human being. You're going to push yourself in some way that you don't want to do. And this is going to lead to growth. And so for, for example, like snowboarding, like it was just an idea. And then all of a sudden we got a prototype and I was shredding down a mountain. Next thing you know, I'm doing it. Like, it's just, I would have never known if I enjoyed something, if I never tried it. And now like on my goal list, uh, like I wrote it down last night, like become a professional, like Paralympic snowboarder. Like, why not? Why not? Like, you know, like why not? And and that's my whole. That's another. That's another quote of mine. Like not mine, but like my kind of like mantra is like why not? Right? Like yeah. everything. Like why can't I do that? And I think I think most people are like, I like it. It's it's the opposite of why not. It's more like oh I can't do that. Right? Mm-hmm. I think I just think that like the self talk in our heads is like everything. And it, it when you approach your when you approach like oh I don't want to do that or that's scary like forget that. Like, Oh, I'm about to level up. Like I'm about to get out of my comfort zone. It's going to be messy, but like, I'm going to become a better person after this session or after this workout, after this dance class. I don't know. I just use that stuff as, as an anchor. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle, and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker 
has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. Guys, no two listeners of the show are exactly alike, which means that no two vacations you take are going to be exactly alike either. And if you're looking for a place that will serve all of you, Texas has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities that allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. I love Texas so much, I moved my family there for five years. Because here's the deal, Texas has it all. Are you a beach person? We got you. If you love a rugged vacation, not my jam, but there's plenty of campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. My favorite part about Texas the food. It is the thing I miss the absolute most. Whether you love barbecue or Tex-Mex or just want to be in cities that take their food very seriously, you can enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. I have four world records. Um, I have the speed record for something called the Explorer's Grand Slam. So I climbed the tallest mountain in each of the seven continents. So Mount Everest, Kilimanjaro, Denali, all back to back, um, as well as went to the North and South Pole. That's called the Explorer's Grand Slam in record time. So I have the speed record for that 139 days, as well as the seven summits. Um, and then I also did something called the 50 High Point. So I climbed the tallest mountain in each of the 50 U.S. states in just 21 days. Which I didn't is, know that. Uh, a whole other crazy story um, <laughs> about legit, I mean, 50 states in 21 days just being in 51 states in 21 days is yeah. like the whole crazy logistics and my wife Jenna as you know is a huge part of all of this and the dreaming and the planning but then I guess most recently last year I became the first person in history to cross Antarctica solo unsupported and unaided so a thousand mile journey via the South Pole people have been trying for about 100 plus years unsuccessfully uh, and I was able to become the first person to successfully complete that crossing and the bigger thing you know we can get into this but for me yes it's about pushing myself and kind of pushing my own boundaries. But it's also about sharing it with the world in a way that people can take from it. Because I mean, I don't really care so much about being the athlete in the arena, but I believe that all of us, all of us humans on this planet have these reservoirs of untapped potential inside of us to achieve amazing things. And I just personally love pushing myself in that way. And sure, if you're listening to this, probably not your thing to go around and freeze your butt (laughs) up by yourself in the middle of Antarctica. But I know that there's hopes and dreams and goals and ambitions inside of you, burning things that I know that you can accomplish. And that's what I really try to, you know, share 
with people through my own journey and my story to inspire other people to take those first steps in their lives and conquer their dreams and their goals, whatever they might be. Um, I found myself uh, in rural Thailand, 22 years old, and I saw these guys jumping flaming jump ropes uh, on the beach in Thailand. It looked like a great idea. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we could see how that turned out. Unfortunately, in an instant, my life changed. That rope wrapped around my legs and let my body completely on fire to my neck. Uh, I had to jump in the ocean to extinguish the flames, which ultimately saved my life, but not before about 25% of my body um, was severely burned. And the worst thing about it was I was in the middle of nowhere in Thailand, small island, no proper hospital, moped ride down a dirt path. Mm. There was a... um, a cat running around my bed in the ICU in this kind of makeshift hospital. And the doctors walked into me and said, I hate to tell you this, but you're never going to walk again normally. Um, and, you know, I had identified myself as a long time as an athlete. That's kind of how I thought of myself as, you know, a physically active person. And, you know, it's a big turning point in my life. And your question was about growth mindset. So in that moment, if I'm being dead honest, like, I thought it was over for me, or at least my personal identity had evaporated. Yeah, the physical trauma, these burns were immense, but th- there's nothing worse than the emotional trauma of someone being like, you're not ever going to be the person you always thought you were anymore. It's over, um, which kind of just like deadpan. And I was in that hospital for several days. And eventually my mother, she was able to fly over to Thailand and sit with me in that hospital room for the many weeks after that. And, you know, I, I don't have kids myself yet, but I hope to in the next couple of years, certainly is a, something I want to have in my life. But, you know, I can only imagine what it's like to be a mother. I mean, you're a mother, like what it would be like to see your kid in this helpless state. And I know now that she was in the hallways crying, yeah. pleading with the doctors, full of anxiety and fear, understandably. But she actually never showed me her own fear. She came into my hospital room every single day just with this huge smile on her face. And there's this air of positivity, you know, saying to me, like, Colin, like, this is a bad situation, but this is not the end of your life. Like, this too will pass. Like, what do you want to do when you get out of here? And that was kind of like that first interjection to like a growth mindset. Like, we're in this bad situation right now, and it's going to be bad for a while. But like, this is not forever. Like, what do you want to grow towards? And I looked at her and I was, I looked down at my legs. I mean, like, you see the pictures of it. It's horrific. And I looked down at the legs and it's like, I don't, I, I don't have an answer for you. And she just kept at me every day. What are your goals? What are your dreams? What are your hopes? What are your goals? What are your dreams? And finally, she goes, do me a favor, Colin. Close your eyes today and open them after you've pictured yourself in some positive version of your own future. So I closed my eyes like, fine, mom, I'll play along. Like I said, it's still not buying in really. And I closed my eyes and uh, I pictured myself crossing the finish line of a triathlon. I had never done that before. I'd been a swimmer, like I said, but I've never you know, done triathlons before. But in my mind, it was like, that's what like a fit, healthy, strong, back on my feet type of version of myself looked like. And so I opened my eyes and I said, well, I'm just going to tell you what I saw in my vision, mom. I saw myself crossing the finish line at a triathlon. And again, like huge credit to my mother. She could have easily looked at me and been like, you know, I said set a goal, but like maybe something a little more realistic given the doctors told you you're never going to walk again. Yeah. Like, you know, like, but like, let's make it, you know, I want you to have a future, but maybe, you know, something more realistic. And instead she just looks me dead in the eyes and she goes, I love you. I can see it too. You're going to cross that finish line. <laughs> you know, (laughs) and that was it from that moment onwards, it was fixed our mind and, you know, go back to Google. I mean, she literally was like, native of us know a lot about triathlons. Like, let's just like start talking about where are the races? How do you do it? How far are the distances? How this, she literally goes to the doctors. She goes, tell this doc what you're training for. I said, doc, I'm training for a triathlon. Now I'm in Thailand. I'm bandaged to my waist. (laughs) And I forced him to bring me these like 10 pound weights for arms. I said, I got to start working out doc. He's looking at me like I'm crazy, but he's like, he sees this look in my eyes. And so several months I'm in the Thai hospital. 
finally fly back to Portland, Oregon, where I'm from. And I was carried on and off the plane to fly home. I was placed in a wheelchair when I got home, like literally haven't taken a single step. And, you know, all credit due to where my mother is again. And again, I was like, okay, maybe that was just a nice fantasy in the hospital. Now I'm back home. I'm in a wheelchair. And my mom, the first day I'm back in my, my house in Portland, I'm out of the hospital. I'm sitting in my wheelchair. I'm in my mother's kitchen. And she wakes up. She goes, okay, Colin, now I know we've got the big triathlon goal. But today your goal is to take your very first step. And she grabs a wooden chair from our kitchen table and places it one step in front of my wheelchair. She goes, the incremental success towards your goal is you today somehow getting out of that wheelchair and taking your very first step. And it took me three hours that day sitting in that, you know, that, that wooden there, my wheelchair to take that first step, but I did it. And it was that long road of, you know, this progression and, you know, fast forward to the end of the story, it's a year and a half until I actually towed the start line of a, at a triathlon. I moved to Chicago, you know, needed to get a job and kind of get my life back on track. So I moved to Chicago and signed up for the Chicago triathlon. And, uh, I started the race and I, you know, I swam a mile, I rode 25 miles on my bike and I got my running shoes on and ran a 10 K and ran 6.2 miles to cross the finish line. But to my complete and utter surprise, you know, finishing the race, I had set my goal and I had done it, but I had actually not just finished the Chicago triathlon, but I actually, to my complete surprise, actually won the entire <laughs> Chicago triathlon, so ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> uh, which was, like I said, a complete surprise to me as I started thinking of myself as an artist, which was a huge kind of awakening moment for me personally in my own personal growth, I thought, well, my canvas just happens to be endurance sports. But a true artist would want to create something entirely unique. And so in the world of exploration, this Antarctica expedition, this solo crossing of Antarctica was actually a world first. It was something that no one in history had ever accomplished. Now, I wasn't trying to do that again to like beat my chest and be like, ah, people have tried this. I mean, unfortunately, a couple people have died attempting this exact same challenge before. And there was many people out in the kind of, you know, world of commentary that said, you know, this Antarctica crossing is impossible. The reason being is it's also what it's called unsupported. So there was no resupplies of food or fuel or outside assistance. So it meant that I had to put all of my food or fuel in a sled behind me, which ultimately weighed 375 pounds and pull it behind me. Um, and other people who have attempted have actually either like run out of food or run out of supplies or gotten sick and things like that. And so, you know, Jenna and I decided together, you know, let's call our project The Impossible First. That's what we named our project. And it's actually also the name of my book um, that's coming out soon. Um, because we thought, you know, some people thought, oh, that's kind of a, what are you, are you cocky? Are you trying to say like, people say it's impossible and, you know, you say that you can do it. And it was the opposite. It was actually saying people have said this is impossible and it literally might be impossible, <laughs> yeah. but we're going to try Yeah. because the most interesting growth from us has happened when we stepped so far outside of our comfort zone. If we fail at doing this, like, great. We yeah. tried to do something that was so audacious that we failed. I'd rather do that than like set small goals that I know a hundred percent certainty that I'm going to accomplish. Absolutely. And don't get a lot out of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And so, you know, we set this goal. And again, you know, to cook a year plus in the planning, all this like research and all, you know, kind of, you know, logistics and science and stuff to figure out my body and food that I needed to bring and all the different elements. But ultimately, really, you know, to your question, it was it was born from this desire to step into a truly unknown thing, something I'd never explored, Antarctica with that much depth and being alone. 
that was the other piece of it. You know, I've become more and more curious about mindset and sort of the inner uh, journey than I have in the external journey. And I thought, what better place than to go be alone in Antarctica for two months? And, you know, the sun never sets there. It's 24 yeah, hours of daylight. I remember when you told me that. That's so crazy. There's nothing to see. I mean, after you get past the coast, there's no mountains. There's nothing. So you're in a 24-hour daylight, like, white room of nothingness. Uh, and some people think this is absolutely insane. But I actually deleted... Um, all but five albums off of my phone. So I had no music, no podcast, no nothing with the intentionality of actually going as deep as I could into the silence and the stillness oh to see what creativity I could cultivate Whoa. from inside of there. There was some depths of despair that I reached out there. I mean, I, 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 there's actually a chapter in my book that's titled Frozen Tears because, I mean, there were times when I was just sobbing and crying and then there's nothing more pathetic than what happens when you cry when it's, you know, minus 30 <laughs> degrees outside the tears. They start freezing oh to your gosh. face. Um, and so, you know, I was broken um, in a lot of ways. There's a... There's a video that I have of myself. Um, it's on the 48th day. I've been battling storms nonstop. I mean, when there's storms, I actually can't, literally can't see anything um, at all. And so I'm navigating with a compass, but like struggling to even find my way. It's like just being lost in this endless white room by yourself. Um, and I finally get in my tent that day and I just look in the camera and I was like, I just want to quit. Like, it's over. Like, I was just at my absolute lowest, darkest moment. Um, and, and that was tough for me to find, to hit that low. On the 53rd day, the, finally the storm clears and it's Christmas day. And I wake up that morning um, and I get out of my tent and I start pulling my sled and I feel completely different. Like I can barely lift my bag into my set, my sled that day because like my body's broken down. Like my ribs are sticking out. My hips are sticking out. I'm running out of food. And I realize I'm only 77 miles away from the finish line, which is the closest that any human has ever been. Someone made it 100 miles from finishing this and fell ill and died a few years ago. And so... At that point, that's that breaking point. Like, oh, where, where am I going to go? Like, is the fear going to overtake me? But the craziest thing happened, which is I had been trying to find this place inside my mind in this flow state of calm and positivity and sort of meditative bliss that I finally found in that moment. And I wake up and sort of in this moment and I realize like I'm stronger than I've ever been. I've, I've gone through this rebirth. I'm so broken down. Like if you looked at my body physically, you'd be like, that guy can't walk another step. But I found this place inside of me that actually was like, I'm stronger than ever. And I believe that place exists in every single person, a hundred percent. Like we just don't allow ourselves to get there. We limit ourselves long before that. Um, and I'm certainly guilty of that at times in my life, but what unfolded over the next, you know, set of days was probably the most profound experience of my entire life, which was, you know, I, uh, you know, felt so connected that I decided to myself, my average distance had been about 15 to 20 miles per day. So I thought maybe I've got three or four more days left to finish this thing. But all of a sudden inside my brain, I go, how many more hours would that be pulling my sled? I'm like, okay, maybe it's 40 hours more of pulling my sled over the course of four days. But wait, it's no 24 hours of daylight here. What if I don't stop? And so I actually decided in my mind, I was like, I'm, I'm so connected right now to everything that I wanted. I'm not going to stop until I finish this thing. And so I ended up actually pushing 32 hours straight, nonstop, 77 miles to finish this thing. And I completely attribute that to 
the mind. What I found deep, deep, deep after unpeeling all these layers of wanting to quit, of wanting to give up, of being broken, of being frostbitten, of being afraid, of all of the things, what I found on the other side of all of that hardship was not more hardship. I think yeah. it's easy to think if you're going down this, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. But what I found on the other side of that was this flow state, this bliss, this calm, this connectedness to the universe, you know, you know, depending on, you know, what your faith is, you know, everyone has different beliefs. But, you know, for me, I found myself connected to this ever presence of of love. I actually opened my arms up on the ice that day, like raised them up to the sky and started saying infinite love, infinite love, infinite love, because I felt all of that love of my mother and the support and the students. We're ultimately talking to, you know, millions of students now through the nonprofit and things like that of this sort of resonant positivity coming to me. And it's a crazy thing to say I was the most literally actually literally the most alone person in the entire world, the middle of Antarctica <laughs> by myself, and probably objectively the most alone person. But in that moment, I found this place in my mind and my body and my spirit, and my soul, where I felt more connected to humanity and love and compassion and empathy than ever before. And so, you know, I, it was an amazing experience in my own life, but I think that it really, I, I do believe that it applies to everyday life and the capacity of we are going to face hard times. You are going to face storms. You are going to face a moment sitting alone in your proverbial tent where you're looking outside and the storm is raging and you want to give up. You want to quit. But I say like, go back out there. Like the palm trees might just be right <laughs> over the next ridge yeah. or at least in the emotional ways of like, you are going to find that calm, that peace, that bliss, that love, that infinite love. Like it is there for you, for all of us to tap into and access when we allow it. To me, being healthy is really grounded in nutrition. Honestly, what I eat and what my kids eat is super important to how we live our lives. It's why I love a company like Thrive Market, because Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So when I go online and I use their on-site filters, I can figure out exactly my lifestyle needs and trust that what I'm getting from Thrive Market is what I want to take into my body. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one -one membership matching program. You join, they give. You can join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Rach for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Rach. Thrivemarket.com slash Rach. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
My name is Phoebe Robinson. Um, if you recognize the name, it might be from Two Dope Queens, the podcast I did with Jessica Williams for four seasons and then two seasons of HBO specials. I um, also wrote two books. Mm-hmm. You Can't Touch My Hair and everything, and Everything's Trash, But It's Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I have another podcast that's currently on hiatus called So Many White Guys because there were just so many white guys in podcasting, so I wanted to flip the numbers. When I first started doing stand-up, it was very, you know, even doing five minutes on stage was just sort of terrifying. So I write everything out, and then I would just sort of stand in front of a mirror, and I would rehearse everything, even the, how's it going guys <laughs> great drink like everything pause for oh my gosh. So, it's so real though yeah that's, that's how you learn yeah and I was just so sort of dorky so I, I really would just really try to memorize every single thing and now I'm about 11 years in so it's a lot of I will have an idea for a joke maybe write down a few lines and then sort of talk it out on stage to see if there's a little like kernel of something we're in a very interesting sort of place with comedy because it's everywhere it's on netflix comedy central hbo people go to clubs and they only want to hear the a material because they're just used to seeing all these specials and it's sort of well you're only going to get the a material if you try and fail and sort of fumble and figure it out um so it's really sort of trying to manage everyone's expectations and also not being afraid of not having a good set so the first book you can't touch my hair and everything's so i still have to explain i wrote a proposal which you had to do everyone has yep. to do and you're just like this yeah. is so fun. yeah hard. it takes so much yes. time and you second guess everything <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah it's the worst and then you're like does anybody want to read this exactly well, i don't know if i should write this but you you, you finish the, the the thing and then i remember i got last minute i got offered um a spot to do a late night spot on Seth Meyers. And I always want to do late night. Obviously I want to do when Letterman was on, but I was nowhere <laughs> near good enough for Letterman. Um, and I was like, Oh, this is really cool. And my lit agent was like, this is great. You can do this spot. And then the day after it airs, I'll just send out the proposal along with a link to your standup. So nice. people can see it. And I was like, this is great. Yeah. Pretty much everyone except for one publisher was just passed on me. They were like, she's not famous. They're like, she's right about the black experience. This isn't marketable. They're like, no one outside of America would ever read this book. It was just a lot of like, Mm -hmm. no, like she, her voice isn't interesting or whatever. And then, um, so I ended up going with Plume, which is a division of Penguin, and they just totally got it, and they were really supportive, and they were they said that they thought it was so funny, and that you know, they're, I'm speaking about a lot of things that a lot of people experience, yeah. Um, and they were really great, but it was really interesting to be trying to shop your stuff around where everyone's being like, basically, you being a black woman isn't marketable, and yeah. you're like, what, yeah. It's very bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. The second book was easier to write. The first book was really hard. Like, I was crying a lot. I was like, this sucks. Like, I'm not good enough. Because you're working through stuff that you're writing about or because the process sucks It's so just much. the process yeah. sucks. And it's just sort of, you know, how much did I, what was my book deal? It was, what, 25000 mm-hmm. And, which is nothing. And yeah. so when I, I sold the book and then when I started work on it and started getting paid for it. I broke up with my boyfriend and I had to move out and I truly had no money because I was just freelancing and blogging and so 
whatever little I got from my book advance was just so I could like move into an apartment yeah. and get furniture. And so it was really hard to sort of have to start over in a way where, you know, I thought this was going to be the person I was going to marry. It was yeah. going to be fine. Um, and so that felt really hard because I was 28? No, 30. I was 30. LOL. wish it was 28. But <laughs> <laughs> I was 30 and I felt like I was going backwards again. Mm. And I was like, I'm still in massive amounts of debt and I'm writing this book that you know, my take home for 25 grand is what? Yeah. 15? 15, yeah. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. So I'm like, okay, I'm not making any money doing this. I'm freelance blogging. I'm doing stand-up and no one cares. I'm 30. I should be a little bit more ahead of the curve. And so it really felt, I don't know, I just felt like, what am I doing? It was just really hard to sort of be in a place where you can't really support yourself and you're like, well, I'm writing a book. Because that sounds... It that sounds, sounds sexy yeah. and like, oh, you must be raking in the yeah. millions. And you're like, no, I'm starving and eating top yeah. ramen. Yeah. It was really hard, but it, it, it was worth it for sure. I grew up in New Orleans um, for a large portion of my life, about seventh grade, moved to Fort Worth, Texas. So I guess you can say that's where my adult childhood started. Uh, the youngest of two brothers. Uh, parents both in the household my whole entire life so I had a great example of a mom and a dad um, at five years old though that's when I started playing football you know I mean having two other brothers is like no other choice if they're in sports you know it's just like that's what I'm going to do with my life so play football basketball baseball track uh, throughout my whole entire life got a scholarship to play at Baylor um, went to Baylor and I had a good career you know it wasn't a career that I feel like I mean I got honored as a Baylor legend so I guess it was a great career but still feel like it could have been better. Um, I feel like, and it was weird because I always felt like I was kind of an underdog still in that moment, even though I was shining. The chances, I mean, a lot of teachers say that to kids. It's like the chances like 0.001% of someone making it to the NFL. And it's true, but I just feel like, you know, if somebody really has their heart set on it, you tell them like, it's a small chance, but you can make it. And so every time, you know, I can name probably 10 times what, and out throughout my life where a coach or a parent or a friend told me, you're crazy. It only happens to certain type of people. And I felt like that certain type of people person was me. You know, and I believe that. Um, I had great examples too, because even growing up in New Orleans, I stayed across the street from a Saints player and I got to see him running the streets. His son actually, Geno Atkins, is a is a pro bowler. Now I got to babysit him, but I got this <laughs> crazy how it works. But I got to see him running the street and it made it tangible for me. I got to see like a regular human being because as a kid, you know, you think these guys are superheroes. Like but I got to see, like, oh, this is how he works, and I can actually do this. And my uncle, he's been coaching in the NFL for 30-plus years. So I got to get that counter from him, and I got to see Jerry Rice and all these guys at a young age. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. So that planted that seed, that it was possible, and that's all that I needed. And so from Baylor, um, I was supposed to get drafted fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, something like that. It didn't happen. And so I'm, like, watching the draft. And, you know, I guess to put it into terms where everybody can understand, it's like, just imagine you're waiting for that big call, right? Maybe it's a job interview and you're just for sure that they're going to call you, but they never do. And I had to put on a poker face. My mom asked me, am I okay? And I'm saying, yeah, people are texting me and I'm just masking the pain. And I get a call right after the draft. You're a hot priority free agent, which I was. Your phone starts ringing off the hook. So the Colts, um, that was one of the teams and they just won the Super Bowl. And Coach Dungy was a good friend of my uncle. And he's like, hey, He's a great guy. Go there. He's going to give you a fair shake. You know, he's not going to 
you're not going to make the team because you're my nephew, but he's going to give you a fair chance. So I go there and I perform great. I mean, I had the best preseason, definitely out of all the rookies, um, probably, I want to say top in the NFL. And it was just crazy because the third preseason game is when they usually play the starters for the first half, but the second half, they play the guys who they plan on making the team. They didn't play me at all. And so I'm like, this isn't right. Like, if they're not going to play me, they must be about to cut me. So I asked one of the veteran guys, he said, no, they're trying to hide you because they, they plan on cutting you and signing you to the practice squad, but they don't want you to keep getting these stats because another team, once they cut you, will pick you off of waivers and sign you. Wow. Yeah, so they put me in the back, and that's what happened. I got cut. They signed me to the practice squad. And so what did I do? Because I thought this was success. I bought a car. I bought a chain. I got <laughs> a house to live in and everything. I mean, you probably make about $90,000 a year yeah, just but practicing. But you're like, I'm rich. Yeah, I'm exactly. Rich. At that it's point, I'm out of college. I'm like, out. 90 grand? Like, yeah, yeah you know, I made it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I get caught up in the lifestyle. And, you know, I'm around celebrities that I saw on TV. And I'm bumping elbows with people. And I get caught up in that lifestyle. And I got cut, you know, two weeks there. And so I'm like, what do I do? Luckily, uh, my friend that uh, I knew him in college, we were roommates. And so he said, I'll take over the, the rent. Don't worry about it. I drive back to Texas. I'm there for a week. I keep myself inside my room because you got to realize it's September. And if I'm out in the streets in September, yeah. people know that I'm cut. Yeah. So I shelter myself wow. in my mom's house because I didn't want to deal with people. And that was the first time where I felt like I was really running from my battle and not facing my reality. They called me back. A week later, and that's my whole story in the NFL. I mean, I got cut seven, eight times, back and forth, uh, three different teams, three different cities, unstable, not knowing. Like, it's kind of like, we call it Terrible Tuesday. Terrible Tuesday is when they have waivers and when you get cut. So mm -hmm. every Tuesday, every practice, I'm nervous because I don't know if they're going to call and say, hey, bring your playbook and you're going home. So like any mistake, talk about pressure, any mistake, you could be gone. That was my first feeling of not being good enough. And so what did I do? I masked my pain with things that I shouldn't have masked it with to cover up that because I didn't want to look in the mirror. And of course I was great enough, but you know, I was just like, dang. And I got angry in my faith. I'm like, man, what? I could have just been something else. Like yeah. I didn't want to get this far. And like, what do I do in my life? Because a lot of people don't understand that, you know, even in college, it's a student athlete. That's a false. Yeah. It's athlete. I mean, yeah. you can't even work an internship. You can't have a job. They don't prepare you, at least when I was there, they don't prepare you for life after sports. So I've never had a job wow. in my life. Oh, gosh, I've never thought about that before. Never had You're a job like, in my this life. This is what you do. This Your job it. is to kill exactly. at this one thing. <laughs> exactly. Because were you on scholarship, too? Yep. So then it's like, you want to stay in this school, you're going to perform in this way. Yeah, they would laugh at you. If you say, hey, I want to, uh, you know, uh, go work a job, they would laugh at you. So wow. that's the whole thing about, you know, athletes getting paid in college, which I think they should because. You're getting you your, your check else. is your check is two hundred and fifty dollars a month. Wow. Of course they pay for your meals, but that's it. That's yeah. all we lived off of. Wow. My third time getting cut, so my third team. So I'm with the Redskins, and in this process, uh, I get Maria pregnant. That's when I was in Indianapolis in 2007. She gets pregnant. Uh, Tristan is born in 2008. Um, I'm in. I'm with the Seahawks at that moment, and just to be totally transparent, uh, you know, we weren't together, um, and so. I was looking not at Tristan, but at the situation as a disappointment. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a pastor's son. Like, it's not supposed to happen like mm -hmm. this. You know, me and Maria, we knew each other, but we didn't know each other like that. Yeah. And so I'm like, man. But fast forward, I realized that that disappointment was my greatest rescue because Tristan was the first time in my life where I felt like something other than my life really mattered, right? Mm -hmm. Like, somebody's going to follow my footsteps. Somebody's going to pay for the decisions I make or reap the 
benefits of the decisions I make. So the first thing I told my son was like, I don't want you to grow up to be like me. Mm. You know, of course he's a baby, he can't talk back, <laughs> but that hurt me to the core. So that made me start thinking like, okay, as a man, what does what does that greatest you look like? Like, what do you want to leave for Tristan? He's going to follow your footsteps. You know, his parents, listen to what I say, don't do as I do. And that's totally false, right? Mm -hmm. Kids are watching what you do. So that was the big thing for me as far as the road to change, the start. The second thing that happened that really started rehab time was my co college roommate committing suicide. Yeah. And so one of my best friends, um, you know, going to his service and realizing that like life is short mm -hmm. and when I left his service, I haven't even really talked about this because people might think it's weird, but I went to a cemetery mm -hmm. and I walked around mm -hmm. and I looked at tombstones and I realized that death has no preference. Mm. You see ages, you see, you know, different races, different yeah. people. And I'm just like, I don't want to come here with an incomplete life. Woo! It was 2009 um, when I, I wish I could tell a cool story of how this moment happened, but it wasn't. I was just, <laughs> I, just being honest, like yeah. I was... In my mom's, I was in my mom's house in my room and I was looking around. I was looking around all my football pictures of Tristan's around the room. And I'm just like, it's rehab time. And I didn't know what rehab time was. For me, rehab meant putting a strength back into a weakness. Mm -hmm. I said, when you're hurting sports or you're getting a car wreck, you go to rehab. Rehab sucks. But if you do rehab right, you'll come back stronger than what you were. So I said, it's rehab time, mind, body and soul. The very first thing was fitness for me because I knew mm -hmm. I really could control that. I hated to read books. I said, I'm going to pick up a book. <laughs> said the guy who yeah, writes exactly. books. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's crazy how life works. Isn't it? I was just talking about this the other day. I was like, I would never pick up a book. Like, it's crazy. Even in personal development, like, it wasn't really because you were like, who do you look up to? I was like, well, I have people now, but growing up, it was like rappers, you yeah. know, like, just being honest, like yeah. Jay Z, Master P. Like, that's who I looked up to. So, um, and it's funny because my, I went in my room and one of the first books I had was from Master P. Like, it was just super <laughs> funny. But um, so that happened and I started going to the gym, um, started reading, started getting to my word more. And over time, I started to share this journey, right, with people. I was living rehabish. I'll be honest, I was one foot in, one foot out, mm -hmm. trying to figure out my way in this process. And as I started to share my journey, people started to catch on. People started to see it. People started to respond. And the fast forward, maybe, you know, two, three years later, I uh, had my very first speaking engagement, my very first but major speaking engagement, didn't want to do it. I'm still trying to play arena football. Uh, my mom didn't want me to go to New Orleans because she has her thing about New Orleans. But I was like, <laughs> I'm going to, with the voodoo. And I, I begged the coach to let me come Saturday. I was supposed to come Friday. I said, I got a speaking engagement. Just let me do it. Didn't want to do the speaking engagement. My friend talks me into it. Make a long story short. Get on stage. Five minutes seemed like five hours. I got off stage, all these kids start running up to me, asking me questions about life. I'm like, I don't really know. Yeah. You know I'm here inspiring myself, yeah. too. And so at that moment, I quit football. Mm. And people are like, well, it's not a big deal. It was because like that was my identity. Yep. That was how I paid my bills, yep. even though it wasn't much at the time. That was everything to yeah. me. And it's I let go of it. you knew. Yeah. And rehab time wasn't what it was. Like yeah. I might have had a few hundred views on videos, a few hundred followers just yeah. from football. Yeah. And I let go and I walked into it. And I kid you not, Rach, like... Three to four, five months later, videos I started to make started to go viral. I have this thing called the rehab process. Um, it's simple. I'm pretty sure a lot of people priority do this, but I just put it in a framework. The rehab process is made up of three R's. And this is a process that I feel like you have to do almost daily, weekly, monthly. It's not a one and done type of thing. The first R is reality, right? It's facing your reality, whatever that may be. 
right? It's facing that fear. It's facing that situation where this is over, like me, letting go of football. You'll never win your war by running from your battles. I love to tell people that because a lot of people are trying to win this war without facing it. You won't, you will never fix what you're not willing to face. Absolutely. And I get it. It's scary. It's hard. But in order to get to the other side, you have to walk through that door. And so um, reality is that first thing. The second thing is release. And people say, don't burn bridges. There are bridges you shouldn't burn for sure over little things. Don't burn bridges, but there are bridges in your life that need to be burned because there's certain things that your life cannot afford to go back to. Ooh, yeah. So what are those bridges of destruction? It's not always people. I know we always go to people, but maybe it's your habits. Maybe it's your mindset. Maybe it's your past. And as long as you keep that bridge, like I want to tell people this. I'm not saying you're not strong because I think everybody is, but you're not strong enough to stay in an environment that you know um, doesn't serve you. Yeah. The temptation is too strong. And I tell people all the time, like closure... It's something like just just know that you deserve better. Yeah. That could be your closure. Just yeah. move on yeah. with your life. That could yeah. be your closure because you could be waiting on something that will never happen. Ever. Yes, right? Yeah. So reality then release is burning those bridges so you can build the bridges in your life that need to be built. Mm-hmm. So what's that environment that you're in? Does that environment grow you? I always say it's like having a beautiful flower, right? You take the most beautiful flower in the world that has the potential to be that. You put that flower in the wrong environment, that flower is not going to grow. Yeah. I don't care how much potential that flower has. And a lot of us, we're that flower. We have all the potential in the world. We're just in the wrong environment. Yeah. And the last part is repair. Repair is the hard part, but it's about getting down to the root issues in your life. So many people want surface level solutions, right? It's like, give me a quick fix. You know, tell me to leave this situation, but say a relationship. Somebody gets out of a bad relationship, but then they get into another relationship that's bad. So my question is, yeah, I can tell you, hey, remove yourself from the pain, but why do you keep putting yourself in the pain? Yeah, right? you're the only thing that hasn't changed. Like it, it's like people forget. Like you're the variable. It's all these different partners, and you've had the same kind of problem with each one. It wasn't them. Exactly. It was you. Exactly. Because you chose to keep putting yourself in that situation for whatever whatever the reason is. And a lot of times that reason is that seed. Maybe yeah. it's how you saw your parents, yeah. or maybe it's a bad relationship at first. So I'm really big on removing those bad seeds, digging up those bad seeds, and replacing new seeds in, in that place, mm-hmm. right? A new lifestyle, a new habit, whatever it may be. And that's the rehab process. That's the process that I always coach from, teach from, from even people who don't know it. And I do that with my life every single day. So the first injury and probably the most prominent and the one that affected me the, the worst or the most was uh, breaking my pelvis. And I did that in 2004. So, um, oh man, yeah, <laughs> this whole was, podcast, I'm going to be like swallowing convulsively. Okay. So what's the scenario? How did so this I was happen? in my late thirties already, uh, had already had, you know, a lot of success skating and, uh, we were shooting an episode of wild boys, which is, was sort of a jack off jackass spinoff. So it was, it was, um, Chris Pontius and Steve-O did a show that was more about uh, nature <laughs> and lots of stunts. And so I uh, did it because they had, a, they had an orangutan that knew how to skateboard. And they asked if, if I would be on the same episode as the orangutan. So um, we showed up to this ramp where they brought the orangutan. It's my friend's ramp. Bob used to have a loop ramp that was attached to his half pipe um, that we had done in the past 
you know, a full, like complete Hot Wheels loop. And we had done it in the past, um, but uh, it had been really weathered since the last time we had done it. And he and I had been riding a different loop right up until that, that point that was on my tour, uh, the Bumu Hakshiam. So those things are important in the, in the context of this because as we were skating in these orangutan suits, not wearing helmets, by the way, um, because you know we had to have the we had to have the full getup. Sure. Uh, I think it was my great idea. They said, "Oh, we got to do a monkey loop. Let's do the monkey loop." And so we went over to the backside of the ramp, and we started trying his loop. And I did the number one mistake of a loop that I should have known better because I'd been doing it for I don't know ten years up to that point in my life. And uh, basically, um, I pumped too hard with my legs going through the, the first radius. And when you do that, you bring yourself off the wall and you have nowhere to go except for straight up and then all the way down. And uh, I, like I said, it was a rookie mistake. I, I pumped through the transition, found myself flipping in the air, didn't know where I was. The next thing I know, I woke up in an ambulance. <gasps> and how, like, how many feet is that that you're following? Uh, the, the loop itself is 14 feet. Um, so I'm tripping. I, I didn't I, the know irony, they made the irony of the, of the loop is that the safest place to fall is at 12 o'clock because your momentum will carry you around the ramp and you'll be able to stick to the wall and slide around. So I came off the wall just after three o'clock, so to speak. And that made my momentum stay, carried me upwards to the top and then straight down. Oh my and, gosh. Uh, and then I uh, found out later that day that I had broken my pelvis and that I was gonna be in bed for quite a while. Whoa, what is the recovery from that like? Um, I was in bed for probably, I think six to eight weeks. And then um, the worst part about that is not being idle. It's that your pelvis is central to everything in your body, right? In terms of your bone structure and your nerves. And so if you do anything at all that requires exertion, I mean, I'm talking about down to coughing or sneezing, your entire body freezes oh, up and, and, and it's like this shock wave goes through you. So um, imagine, you know, trying to get up, take a shower, go to the bathroom, all those things are just traumatic. When I first started trying to walk, I had this severe limp that I was just in denial of. Um, and uh, it took me, it, it took me a good, I would say six months to feel confident on my skateboard. And then it took me about another six months to actually get my, my tricks back and, and my, my sense of confidence that I could do these things because that really rattles you. It makes you, it makes you question anything you've done for the last, you know, for me, the last 30 years. What is that like when you're, and I know you've built so many incredible businesses from this world, but what is it like when your body is essentially the product? Like you're an athlete and in order for you to do this thing that you do, this all has to work. Like, what is that? what is that the word that i'm thinking of which is lame is like maintenance like what is required to be able to come back from something like that and to maintain 
your health in order to do what you do? Well, I think I, I think I made a big shift in what I held as a priority right then, because I realized that this is not like, this shouldn't just be the only thing. And this shouldn't just be the priority is what my body is capable of doing on a skateboard. Um, I, I already had, I had started a couple of businesses, had other sort of tangents of things that I was doing at the time, but it made me realize that if, if I want to do this, I got to just do it for my own pleasure, not because it's a living. Mm, and that's good. It, it definitely, I, I had had my share of injuries through the years, but this one in particular taught me that, I love this so much. I love doing it more than anything in that I will just suffer to get back out there, even if it's not for a payday. I just wanted to get back on my skateboard. And, and I knew I was fully aware that I may not get back to where I was. And I, I may not get back to a place that's, that's good enough to be on display, that's good enough to be, say, profitable. And I didn't care. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org.